Hello, Mage fans. This is your host, Terry Robinson. And before we get to today's talk about aliens in Mage, here are some community notes. There's currently a 25% off sale on many titles on DriveThruRPG, and if you use any of the links listed in today's show notes or on our webpage, we get affiliate credit. This, along with executive producers, has covered the cost of acquiring all the game's PDFs, our hosting fees, and our equipment so far. If you use our referral code and buy at least $100 in stuff, send us an email with your name to magethepodcast at gmail.com, or drop me a line in our Discord, discord.me slash magethepodcast, and we'll give you a shout-out in the next episode we record. Josh Heath and I published a volume of of Paradigms Explored called Weird and Weft on Norse Magic. This is a relatively deep dive on spirit, fate, and fiber magic of the Norse and tries to walk players and storytellers through the process of going from this is my paradigm to this is how I express my paradigm to these are the cool tools I use to this is how I blow stuff up. You can search for it on the Storyteller Vault looking for Paradigms Explored or click on the link in the show notes. Thanks to everyone who helped in the wiki update event, we created almost 20 new pages, and the unofficial White Wolf wiki now includes pages on all of the aliens we discuss in today's show, all the sorcerer societies in World of Darkness Sorcerer, and all the technocratic sphere variants. We also fixed the fact that Zigrugler was misspelled. One final note, this is the first episode where a guest and I just kind of talk at you about a topic. If you like it, tell us. If you don't like it, tell us as well. Madesthepodcast at gmail.com or discord.me slash madesthepodcast. And with that, on with the show. Hi, Mage fans. This is Terry Robinson. And this week on Mage the Podcast, we are discussing aliens with a frequent contributor to the show and frequent contributor to the Storyteller Vault, Charles Siegel. Charles, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. I appreciate that we are recording this on the 4th. And one of the things I think we can all get behind on the 4th is the combination of hot dogs and aliens. I'm also excited because this is going to be the first one where it's not just me faking being an idiot the entire time. And I get to say things too, because for the topic of aliens, I'm like, no, I will not give it all to Charles. I have things to say and people must hear it, which of any topic to be like, no, the people must hear me aliens. That's, that's, that's got a sterling track record. We should, we should be careful not to get locked up. People must hear our opinions on aliens. Yes. <laughs> I really want to do a storyteller vault guide to aliens and just have it like, so our topic at hand are aliens in Mage the Ascension. And to me, one of the things that make aliens interesting is a lot of the phenomena in Mage can be reduced to, oh, that's just a spirit or, oh, that's just consensual belief. But I think aliens are one of the few corners where there's still a lot of ambiguity about it. It's something that's been in since first edition. It pops up through a much broader selection of books than I first anticipated. And I'm super glad that that ambivalence has been maintained. In in conversation with Satoros, he thought it was important to have aliens in the game as kind of a modern version of the myth of changelings, where someone was taken by something else or replaced by someone or something weird happened that couldn't quite be explained. And in a modern world, we use aliens for that have you used aliens in chronicles or do you have a favorite use of aliens in mage so i haven't spent much time using them though i have had a few games that have skirted around the edges of them they're just great for adding a certain element of weirdness to the world of darkness that is there's plenty of weird things but there's nothing there's very little in the books that is very inexplicable that doesn't that defies the classification and the cosmology in quite the way that aliens do. 
And one of the best resources for this is the book Ascension, where chapter five is the end time scenario of a whimper, not a bang, where there is a fight between different aliens to steal avatars to do uh, something. And there's even an aside called Enough with the Aliens on how to deal with players who are like, really? Aliens? Is that where we're going? And it is interesting to be like, there's a topic that is considered over the top or excessive for the world of darkness. And like you said, I like the idea that there are just things that aren't explainable. I didn't have a huge number of great things to say about Isle of the Mighty, but I did like that it included a bunch of areas where there was just weird stuff going on. So the way we're going to do this is there are a bunch of alien entities, alien groups, and alien places, and we are just going to kind of take turns talking about them and try and share what they are, where they will be, and how players may be able to encounter them, and maybe any plot ideas that you have. And the first one up is one of the greatest antagonists that has ever been introduced into Maids the Ascension, the Zigroglar. Charles, what are the Zig? The Zig are Mage's take on a, a questionable uh, conspiracy theory, the lizard men among us except for that they went in such a different direction, you can't see it unless you look closely. Uh, so instead of being humanity is ruled secretly by these infiltrating lizard aliens, it's there's these weird things that are scaly. They seem to experience time backwards sometimes, forward other times, just wildly differently from us. Their shapes constantly change, and they may or may not have driven oracles insane when they first saw them. When you talk about the time thing, what, what experience do we have in the mage canon, or at least in mage history, of the Zig that makes us say that? So I think in the first edition book, where they're first described, so they've been with us from the beginning, it's described that the, a cabal ran into them, only barely got out of the encounter alive, and then encountered them again, but it was so much easier, and eventually they figured out that to the Zig... The first meeting was the second meeting where they'd already learned the Cabal's tricks. And the second meeting was the, was the first time this, that group of Zig had ever met mages or something like that. Just right there directly, the Zig were experiencing time in a very nonlinear way. They were just going backwards. Uh, so I mentioned the oracles going insane when they looked at them properly. Because in the first edition, oracles were everywhere. They got a lot more mysterious over the years and that's a different issue. But at the beginning, they were around, and when the Zig showed up, they were trying to figure out, how are these things existing if they don't have access to quintessence from Earth because they can't get through the horizon? And when they poked around at it, they found that they basically went back in time, grabbed quintessence from before the horizon existed, and then used it in the present. <laughs> They're just weird, high-dimensional beings that intersect reality in funky ways. Time is just another thing for them. They seem to just move along it as they will. And when oracles with fundamentally human brains actually tried to get a look at them, it didn't go well. Yeah, and, and it's kind of interesting because they're presented as that they are able to kind of traverse time easily, but there's also some room for interpretation to think that they also have access to possibly a fourth spatial dimension as yeah. different quantities are exuding them in and out. And I like the idea of an antagonist that can remove your heart from your chest without doing anything yeah. or pluck someone's minds out or remove the yolk from an egg or that is impossible to lock in a room. I will admit part of my love for the Zig is that fourth spatial dimension thing. Like if you want to think about how to actually portray this I can't recommend a book more than Flatland. Yeah. What is it? Edward Abbott? Yeah. 
from the 1880s. It's half Victorian society is horrible and half, oh, math is cool. Another interesting source I thought of was there was a wonderful set of video series on what it would be like to have access to a fourth spatial dimension. And I like the idea that a 4D object with 4D light cast upon it would cast a three-dimensional shadow. And just kind of that as an idea was one of those things where it's like, I've used that in actually a Maids of the Awakening game as the supernal realms are higher dimensional and the fallen world is just the shadow. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. Uh, the Ziggurogler, if you were to introduce them into a game, do you have any idea on how you think you would want to do that or what you would want to use them for? So the simplest thing is that if the mages go into space, things get weird. Much more interesting is if somehow the Zig have gotten through the horizon then one of the things that they're going to want is they're going to want your nodes. That quintessence is valuable to them for unknown reasons. And it gets so much worse than that if we factor in Ascension, where they are stealing avatars to power their technology. The avatar scenario in Ascension is pretty fascinating, as you basically have like worldwide interspatial avatar fight. Everyone wants to steal the avatars of humanity for their own purposes. And the win condition is... Make sure everyone else loses. And it's kind of interesting because it kind of reminds me of, what is it, Tremere in Awakening who use souls as their gas tank? Mm -hmm. There's a few things, but the, the Tremere liches are the most core book. Two plot ideas that came to me where the idea is the Zigrogler seem to be one of the only proper time-traveling entities that we really encounter. And I could see, if you want a rip from the headlines character, being able to track down and deal with the Zig would really give evidence to the idea that the universe exists in block time. There are two common ways of thinking about time and physics. One is the idea that all of reality is just kind of a state evolution machine, and we are moving through some set of states, and that the past exists, we're just not there right now, or the future exists, we're just not there yet, and that is just an additional axis of travel. One of the definitions of time that I have seen is it is a axis along which arbitrary movement is not possible, as opposed to, for us, the X, Y, and Z axes. Uh, so a character could be super interested in tracking down the zig to prove that block time is actually true. Terry, could you quickly say what block time is? The definition of, of block time that I generally use is the idea that the past and the present exists. As time advances, more world comes into being, and the block of the universe, as it were, grows. It is a growing block universe. Two alternatives to that are eternalism, the past, present, and future and all exist, and we just happen to be in the present, and presentism, which is essentially only the present exists, and there is only ever one actual state of the universe, and it is just information being processed and the state of the universe being evolved, that in no real way do the past and future exist. There is no way to get there. So that last one is kind of implicitly the baseline assumption for Mage, given that what happened in the past is arguably determined in part by the consensus, that the past doesn't really exist. The only thing that exists is what we believe about it. Yeah, our memory of the past or what we agree that happened in the past. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, 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 I much prefer the everything up to now, now exists, the future is unwritten approach. Uh, another interesting place where the Zig can fit in is everyone thinks the Zig are working with someone else. Depending on who you ask, they're either they're either working with the Nefandi, they're working with the, techno, the technocrats, 
For all we know, the technocracy might believe that they're working with the traditions. They're a complete wild card that doesn't obey the laws of causality. So if they're working with the Nefandi now, that doesn't mean that, that they aren't also working with the traditions 10 years ago or with the technocracy 10 years from now. And using them to their full potential requires a lot of planning and a lot of out-of-the-box thinking, but they can really add some strangeness and spice up and spice up the game with just stuff that the players have no idea how to handle until they get used to thinking differently. And anytime that players and characters have to think differently is a great thing to trigger seekings. And it's one of those things where the question is, do the Zig understand time in the same way we do? Because I could also see a case where the Zig approach a cabal and say, here's what we promised. And you're like, wait, what? We've never struck a deal. Yeah, you haven't struck a deal yet. And then you kind of have to get everyone on board to be like, hey, there is this, we need this item to do this thing to get this thing that the Zig eventually want for this agreement that actually hasn't happened yet. There's this interesting way in which like the oaths of the changelings and interactions with the Zig kind of follow separate rules that there is this entity that has a funny relationship with time that is holding you to account for something you don't remember doing or maybe hasn't happened yet. I would love to see a fight between the Zig Rogler and the Tuatha de Danann, but that that is a level of fan fiction that I don't think I'm going to see anytime in the near future. <laughs> Now you run the risk of having spoken it into existence. Yes. <laughs> uh, another place that could be fun with them is if you're running a technocracy game. There's a lot of mention in Void Engineer stuff of chrononauts and how they tend to have short lifespans. You could have longer-lived chrononauts by having them focus on just trying to figure out what the Zig are doing. How do they work? Another thing that's brought up is, I can't remember which book it was in, but the Zig Ruggler take advantage of temporal oddities to do their timeline scrounging quintessence work. So uh, a character could discover that a scrying device that they use, a precognitive or postcognitive portal or a dish that they look into or a well or something, has become infected by the Zig or the Zig are using it as a temporal incursion point, as a weak point in the timeline to intercede. And that they notice this because they are getting unusually clear presences in the past and future, but that there's these scaly creatures matching the description of the Zig Rogler that they keep seeing through it. And that to stop them, they have to meet the Zig at one of these incursion points, do something to stop them, and then possibly destroy their scrying device. Or maybe this is an item that they receive as a gift or find going through a chantry, so that way you're not like stealing a player's personalized focus or something like that. But this is a case where you get the scrying device, but oh, it is also showing us this thing that we inevitably must stop or deal with, especially if some of the precognitive things include things like the death of a character in the group or harm to a to an important NPC. Again, get buy-in with your players. Something that you just reminded me of that we hadn't mentioned yet is that the Zig are so antithetical to reality that paradox spirits fight them, which really could could lead to a fun situation where the mages are on the same side as paradox spirits, or they could even be given a one-time a paradox pass by a spirit in order to go deal with the Zig problem. I really like sometimes the first edition view of the paradox spirits as very much sentient entities that plot and plan and keep kind of a view over reality to make sure things don't go too crazy. That That is also on my list of supplements I would like to make exist at some point. Rules for making and playing paradox spirits. Just imagine you're a high-end cult cultist of ecstasy. You've, ne you've never done anything like time travel because it's insane to do it, especially with M20 rules. And then Wrinkle shows up. You haven't done anything. And he approaches you and just says, 
I need you to go back to the go back to the Grand Convocation and stop the alien lizards. Yeah. <laughs> and the important part is this is a case where you can use one of my favorite explanations of time travel in a movie, and that is from the movie Looper, where Joseph Gordon-Levitt asks, how does this all work? And Bruce Willis says, there's no time to explain. And I'm like, okay, this I can get. They recognized the problem and they completely ignored it. There's no time to explain, I think, is one of my favorite lines to use in a mage game. <laughs> and any more thoughts on the Zig or do you want to move on to, uh, to something else? Would you like to tell us about the Kaluan? I would love to tell you about the Kaluan. So the Kaluan are, their first mention comes, I believe, in the Book of Chantries, where they are listed as having large mobile chantries that super look like spaceships. Hmm. And when they are encountered, the Kaluan are these gray space aliens that match the descriptor of grays. They are either tall or short, but they have very large head, spindly limbs, black large eyes, weird ovoid heads, and use hyper-technology for everything, like completely leaves technocrats in the dust in terms of technological capabilities. The weird thing, though, is you can encounter them in the Umbra. So as opposed to just something that is found on Earth or in the Deep Umbra, it is suggested that these entities periodically appear maybe in the Umbral Courts, maybe in the Spirit Wilds, but whenever they are encountered, they are always materialized. So most spiritual entities use Gnosis for things, and then they need to materialize to appear on this side of the gauntlet in mundane reality. But for whatever reason, like if you used a portal to step into the spirit realm as opposed to just like astral projecting or something like that, they are always materialized. They are also listed as a name, as a monster of infernalism in Infernalism, The Path of Screams. And they seem to have a running battle with the Void Engineers, and their early history is somewhat contradictory. Some sources say they became aware of Earth after the first ignition of nuclear devices. Another source, I think it is the Book of Madness, mentions that they tried to invade in 1938, but were completely destroyed by paradox in a giant wave of unbelief. Other cases say that it only occurred when the Void Engineers went into space, which I think was in the 1800s or the 1920s, but uh, sooner than more. And they are greys. They are your standard space aliens. And they're just always kind of weird. Ridiculous suggestion. Go. The contradictory history is because the Zig have been fighting a war with them. I'm entirely fine with that. That is... <laughs> I like the idea that the Kalawan invaded Earth before first contact because they're attempting to stop the Zigrogler from stealing the avatars that allow reality to exist. Done. And we mention antagonism between the two, and and that that is also established. There seems to be some sort of running battle between the Kaluan and the Zigrogler. And uh, in one spot, it is suggested that the Kaluan are working with the Void Engineers to stop the Zigrogler, because when the Zigrogler steal human avatars, it reduces magic and will eventually destroy the notion of progress or the ability for technomagic to work. Where in other cases, the Zigrogler and the Technocrats are on the same side, because that loss will make reality more more static and the Kaluan are fighting both of them. To me, the easiest way to drop this in is one of two ways. Characters encounter an alien artifact. You get an actual downed ship of some sort that you're not sure if it's technocratic or it may have other bits that have that have been baked into it. Or the other one is they just stroll through the high umbra. I could picture a character being in the Fortress of Government or the Tavern of the Four Winds and just seeing this weird thing walk through, wave and keep going. What do you think about the Kaluan? 
I think that one of the most interesting things about them to me is that they seem to both want to take all the avatars, you know, like everyone else seems to in the Ascension scenario. But they're also mentioned earlier as abducting people and awakening them. So that's another great way to include to include them. You could have just have a character who was awakened by an alien abduction. Hell of a way to create an etherite. So yeah, they forcefully awaken people seemingly. Now there's two ways to interpret that. The stress of being abducted by an alien is enough to cause an awakening or these guys have the ability to forcefully awaken someone, which shout out to, to best book in all of mage masters of the art. That is not a trivial feat. Even in uh, arc spheres don't exist at mage 20. It's still the sort of thing that requires mastery of a couple of spheres and is a terrible, terrible idea that you should never do. Awaken Avatar is listed as a nine-dot spirit effect in Masters of the Art. So, uh, yeah. And even there, they say that this is going to go badly most of the time. Yeah, there aren't a huge number of effects that go in that. The other notable one is, I guess, in Red Sign, where trying to make someone not a vampire generally doesn't go well. So we've talked about two groups that are presented probably most firmly as aliens. Before we can bring in the third group, we need to explain a little bit about the groups that are the absolute dynamo of plot in the world of Mage the Ascension. You know them. I know them. We all love them. That is to say sorcerers because throughout continuity the council of the nine mystic traditions has done remarkably little seemingly compared to what happens in sorcerer revised charles is there a group of sorcerers that when you think aliens uh, you think of and what are they so there are one and a half groups let's call it so in world of darkness sorcerer there are the falhun they are a group of sorcerers who were contacted by the last member of an alien species called the Huisha. Is that a reasonable pronunciation of that? I think that's fine. I kind of make it a little sing-songy and go, Huisha. But that gets really annoying if you say it more than twice in a single episode. So the Huisha, I think, is perfectly fine. Well, it also makes perfect sense with them because this alien species, their technology is all based around harmonics and sound which is a less confusing way of saying it than saying resonance in a mage podcast. So what do they do? They are trying to save the world. So they believe that through this alien named Kuvan, they can learn this super advanced technology, they can improve humanity, and they can bring about a rebirth of the city of the Huisha uh, called Zoraster. And here's where we get into that one and a half thing I said. They are led by a group called the Star Council of Zoraster. Well, technically they are led by Kuvan because Kuvan used to appear to them but then stopped. But the Star Council of Zoraster runs things. But then in Sorcerer Revise, there's the Star Council, which is an umbrella UFO nut sorcerer group that the Falhun are included in. And maybe they're also not included because there's a vague reference to something the Falhun did and led the Star Council to that resulted in almost everyone dying. Sorcerer has so much plot in it. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it says it very, like, offhandedly. It's like, oh, by the way, the Nephites presented the, prevented the destruction of the of reality. Also, the, the fake hermetics killed off the Nazis, but soon new Nazis came up, and you're like, wow, that's that's a lot. <laughs> I don't think we've done it on the podcast, but we have talked about the difference between metaplot and lore. And Mage is very lore deep, but there's not that much metaplot that matters. But it's all in Sorcerer. 
there's two sorcerer books, and every single group evolves in a substantial way across them. It's pretty great slash concerning if you're trying to keep track of everything. Oh, they broke into a Air Force hangar in the 60s at Area 51 and stole some tech. I think this is another place where the confusion between the Star Council and the Thalhun gets a little bit awkward. And most of the and they do sorcery by weird hypertech. I've been saying for years that we need more technomagical crafts. And we look at sorcerer and suddenly we've got they're not etherites. They're very much not etherites. They are a different thing, but they are very much a technomagical craft. So I love them. Uh, the way the sorcerer groups are built as as being similar to traditions, but different enough that you can be like, oh no, they're really doing something different. I really like, like when the uh, the Thalhun created their their resonance based vehicle that just kind of exploded into tiny bits. And like, I think every etherite would be like, I see what you're trying to do. Your heart was in the right place, but even I have no clue what the heck you're trying to do. It's just refreshing to see scientists in the world of darkness that are not etherites and not technocrats. Well, quote unquote scientists. At the end of the day, though, what they do, it works. Exactly. And that's the ultimate test. Yeah. So the the entity that the Thalhun are looking into worshipping, for lack of a better term, is an entity by the name of Kuvan, who is one of the Thalhun. Thalhun just meaning someone who is able to manipulate Thal, which is the primordial harmony and sound of the universe that the uh the hui lived on the dying planet of barshma and there was a attempt to revitalize the species that accidentally resulted in a virus being released that nearly caused the extinction of that species and that to save themselves a the greatest of masters of the thalhun pushed zoraster their great city out of time and space and then this other group, the Java, were spread across the stars to find a planet where they could find people to teach technology to that would be able to uh, stabilize their city beyond reality, bring it back, and create a new Zoraster, a new great city. And the Thalhun claim that on Earth, their first encounter with Kuvan occurred around the time of uh, Mesopotamia, that all the great sorcerers in history were just people who had t- learned the lessons of Kuvan and in some way applied them to the world around them. In 1961, when people first kind of went to, to space, that uh, Kuvan s- performed the ritual to summon the other Jeva and that has gone to sleep since. And the Thalhan are preparing for the arrival of these other entities so that they can shepherd humanity into perfection. The the problem, we've talked about this this ascension, the whimper not a bang scenario. What what's the problem with that being what actually happens, Charles? So Kuvan's also trying to steal all the avatars. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out avatars are the most precious thing in the universe, which really fits the themes of mage. Uh, it certainly does, if that is the only thing that allows dynamism to exist, as opposed to just a thing that harnesses the power of dynamism in the universe. Losing avatars, bad thing. Yeah, the one thing that's interesting is that this scenario seems to take the point of view that only awakened mages have avatars, which is very contradictory to the rest of Revised. I, I got the impression from transmissions from the Rogue Council that, to me, in Revised, the idea that avatars are weird and external and jammed into you at the moment of awakening because a psychopomp is kind of seeing that marriage. That, that to me, I interpreted all of Revised that way. I- 
it starts at manifestations before the alien avatar scenario, which has nothing to do with aliens, interestingly enough. There's very much a you have an avatar and it woke up. But then with manifestations, with um, Fallen Tower, and then with Ascension, which is kind of the meta plot run to the end, you get more of a only some people have avatars and and they're the mages. Though some of the scenarios in Ascension kind of go either way, but this one seems firmly on the avatars are for mages. Yeah, that at some point there is a moment of awakening and an avatar kind of lodges itself inside of you. And that yeah. for centuries, the psychopomps, these entities that were not quite sure what they are, oversaw the joining of people with avatars. But at the same time, uh, we get the idea that the psychopomps, along with the Zigrogler, are two entities that maybe don't experience time the same way. There is an event referred to as the moment of Entelechy, where there is an event that radiates both forward and backward in time to cause this, that the psychopomps have have vast abilities to manipulate avatars, but have not always been here and went away, at least for a long period of time, kind of until the end times, and that the entity Kuvan is not necessarily an alien, but seems to be a thing like the psychopomps with the power to manipulate avatars, but that has been corrupted through worship. I very much like the idea of a spirit entity getting glommed onto by pop culture and being turned into something else through the applied belief of worshippers. And and to bring full circle, I could certainly see a thing that says if someone is to awaken in the future, their avatar will then retroactively have always been there. But once you start kind of going in that direction, things get a little bit messy. That would play well with the first edition conceit that you can find people who are going to awaken and awaken them to your paradigm. It certainly goes in the things that have not been highly consistent across editions. And now we kind of have all the key players for the Ascension scenario, a whimper, not a bang. We've talked about the Huija and Kuvan and the Thalhun and the Star Council, as well as the Zig and the Kalawan. So for people interested in doing full-bore aliens, Charles, what kind of happens in this scenario? So the big overarching plot is magic is getting weaker. It goes in like six stages, I think, and at each one, difficulties go up by one until they get to three. Uh, Thresholds start going up by one, even if you aren't above a difficulty of nine. And towards the end, nodes start getting weaker, wonders start dying, and at the end, there's just a completely mundane world, and that's all that's left. The question is, did the characters manage to navigate all this alien nonsense in order to make something good come out of the death of magic? The scenario is set up so that it's dying one way or another. There's no consideration given to, well, what if the mages beat the Kaluan and the Zigraglur and Kuvan? It's just too much. Each of the three groups have their own agenda with avatars. They are more or less, these are powerful things. We can use them for our own stuff. Screw you, humanity. And kind of the win condition is, hey, look, we're playing Mage of the Awakening now. By that, I mean, you get to the city of Zorister in the Umbra. All the avatars are there. And if you can basically shove it into a new universe so that Kuvan, the Zigraglur, and the Kaluan don't get the avatars, it's gone. Like, the avatars are all gone, the world that you live in still has no magic ever again, but now there's a magical city that's going to be the source of magic for a new universe. And infamously, Maids of the Awakening includes exactly that. I will admit, I did not care for this scenario the first time I read it. I also had not read the Sorcerer books where everything building up to it was. 
and having reread it before this uh, this episode, I actually really like it. It's it's a quiet ending for the world of darkness, although you know it can be as loud as you want for the main, for the main cast. If your characters are void engineers and you want to have them go toe to toe with the Zigrog Lure Armada or something. You can do that. It's perfectly in theme. Just at the end, they need to get to the city and they need to figure out what to do with all the avatars. All these entities have been shuffling avatars uh, across to another place. And having so many avatars released at one time in one place causes it to basically blow out of reality as we know it, leaving behind a, a almost entirely mundane world. And it's kind of interesting. If you want to run a very, very low magic chronicle, you could have it set in the world after that if you want to. Yeah, maximum node rating is two. Yeah, and it's also interesting because I think it has some pretty amazing art through that section. I'm quite pleased by it. And the, the representation oh, yeah. of what I think is Zoraster in the Umbra, I think is just gorgeous. On one. Yes, like another thing to note is that there has been some art depicting the Zig from the beginning. It has never quite lined up with the descriptions of the Zig. At the beginning, it was really just lizards that were missing their abdomen and that had arms that were kind of floating nearby. In this scenario, they nailed exactly how they described them as just fleshy, scaly, yellow blobs, some of which are vaguely humanoid in shape. No consistency in shape from one to another or from one image to another. Yeah, that they're yellowish and kind of have this uh, chitinous, veiny external part to them. Their stats move around between 1 and 10 health levels, and they can have very high or very low stamina. And, and one of the neat things with all of these groups is a storyteller can do kind of whatever they want. You're dealing with something that is fundamentally different. It doesn't need to be bound by the spheres. Kuvan's ability to snatch an avatar is a pretty interesting mechanic. You might want to tone that down in a story because you don't want to render your entire group incapable of suddenly doing magic. An easy way to take to uh, keep that from just being a game ruiner is say, Kuvan can do it, but it takes a minute. Or it could be one of those things that once Kuvan does it, it appears as like a gem on Kuvan and they can be stolen back and shattered to have the avatar return or, or, yeah. or any number of contrivances to get that. Yeah, either not one way or it takes him long enough that doing it in combat, for instance, is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. Any more things that you would like to share about the, the Huija, the Star Council, the Thalhun, the Kalawan, or the Zig? Just an appreciation for actually finding the Metaplot and Mage. It's one of those things where you look back at it and you're like, this is remarkably consistent. If you view Whimper Not a Bang as the end state of Mage, and you include Sorcerer fully as part of Mage, there's so many arrows pointing toward it from the beginning that I like it a lot better than I like, for instance, Vormas as the final boss of Mage. Mage having a final boss that isn't yourself is kind of weird to me. But on the other hand, if it's going to have a final boss, Kuvan. Yeah. <laughs> I can get behind that. So, Charles, we've talked about what I'll call the three main aliens so far. Are there any other things that kind of seem alien or could arguably be alien that you like in Mage? So so we'll call those the space aliens because then there's also the sea aliens. And Mage has been pretty clear many times that deep space, deep sea, deep umbra, it's all kind of one blob of deep. So what do we get from beneath the, the dark oceans or the blood dim tides, as it were, in the world of darkness? So who likes werewolf crossover? I, I think we all do. So there's the Chulorvia. What they are specifically is a mystery. It's never explained, and that's the way I like it. How they manifest, though, 
is as something kind of like an, a spiritual infection. They infect cephalopods in humans, and they prefer cephalopods, most you know, octopi, squids, uh, things like that. They just love them. Humans are tolerable, but mostly disposed of when they're not needed anymore. If they infect you, well, first off, you are subsumed to their will, whatever that may be. Then you start developing things like suckers on your fingers. Um, in the 20th anniversary book of the worm, you can see a nice picture of a person with some suckers on their hands and a beak like a squid. You know, more or less humans that are infected are workers in some sense. And when they're done with you, they usually just, you know, drown you. The cephalopods are the ones that, they re- that the Chularvia seem to really like. Because they get super smart, super strong, and they can burrow into your brain and take over. They have a long-running antagonism with the Rokia. Uh, that's the were-sharks. And they're just weird. They don't like humanity in some way, but it's not clear why. It's not clear why they do like cephalopods. I think that we can all appreciate the idea right now of a horrible disease that turns you into a weapon against everyone else. It's unclear how it's transmitted. They've mentioned physical contact, uh, just drinking from the same glasses enough. They've mentioned that it might be sexually transmitted. It might be transmitted non-physically, like you're living vaguely near one. Even if you don't have contact with them, now you're infected. And it does not care about the triad at all is another great thing, because very few werewolf antagonists don't care about the triad. And they have been a running problem for uh, Project Deepwater, which was a Void Engineer Pentex joint underwater shantry near the Mariana Trench. And it's kind of interesting because you make mention the fact that they don't care about it. The Rokea, the Wereshark, believe that the uh, Chalorvia are a link between uh, a quarrel, uh, the, the great kraken, their version of entropy or the worm. And that is kind of what they point at as the origin possibly of the spiritual taint of the worm as opposed to it being the weaver. It doesn't care. I also think it's interesting that it is detectable by kind of uh, sense worm, also by auspex, also by spirit magic. So this is an interesting crossover. The Chulorvia definitely get more word count before the time of judgment than any of the aliens we've spoken about so far. We get a couple full pages as well as stats for a few of them, which is kind of neat. And and if you're interested in using them, I recommend reading World of Darkness, Blood Dim Tides, or uh, Book of the Worm 20th Anniversary Edition ha- has a good section on it with, with yeah. bang up art they're spreading this infection is the storyteller you could say maybe it is spread whenever avatars come in contact so you have a bunch of people that participate in a ritual one of them was infected it could be spread that way you can have a standard malevolent intelligent squid that are going around infecting people you got a bunch of options and i find the ocean below a certain depth fundamentally terrifying that's just me i think this this book did a pretty great job of banging on about that They're very easy to just drop in on things, especially if you have a mixed group of really anything, but mostly mages and were critters. Yeah. And the book, even uh, Blood Dim Times is like, does it affect vampires? We don't know. That's up to you. But the important part is first thing you should do is figure out how it works. And it's nice to have a book that like full on mentions that to be like, okay, we don't know what this is. You should figure it out. Doesn't matter what it is. Honestly, if I was go- if I were going to tie them into vampire, I know this is going to be an unpopular sentiment with a lot of vampire players, but tie them to the alien infection that is vicissitude. 
which is interesting because that is brought up. Despite the constant rumors of vicissitude being a strange disease rather than a discipline, chilvoriosis doesn't work its full effect on vampiric hosts, which is kind of mentioned there. I do like the idea of it following it around and being possibly spread by the Valdery. Mm-hmm. which is the when when sabbat vampires kind of bond themselves together by sharing small amounts of blood it's fitting that they first showed up in a world of darkness line like not mage not vampire but world of darkness book because they sit in one of those corners that anyone can find and be unhappy that they found and blood dim tides on the whole i think is a pretty pretty interesting book in terms of being like, here's how explosives work underwater. Here's information on oxygen toxicity. Project Deepwater, which is Pentex and the Void Engineers. It's a good book. I recommend it. One other notable squid creature that pops up is in Beyond the Barriers, the Book of Worlds, is the Watchers in the Deep, which are alien horrors. And as the Void Engineers went out into the depths of space, they encountered these massive squid-like entities that they either found in deep space or in deep ocean portals. These entities function on very long timelines, and rather than an individual entity learning how to do something, the Watchers in the Deep breed special variants to do whatever they want. They may be able to produce high charisma spies. They may be able to produce high strength warriors. They may be able to produce um, deep covert agents that are able to look like people. And they kind of break it down into four groups, the warriors, the spies, the behemoths, and the uh, sea malefica, the kind of source species of these. And they are squid-like entities that have been watching humans and are not pleased that humans have found maybe some of their deep umbral activities and are thinking of exterminating them. It is suggested that the cop is their creation and that these giant entities that live on very long timelines have some plan for humanity to either shove them into zoos and they've been abducting them or to otherwise crush humanity for its hubris. They refer to humans as bony things and that are a universal annoyance in need of extermination. So this is a giant threat you can have people encounter. It's something very small. It is something you can use to just be flat out weird, like, congratulations, you're in the Deep Umbra. You're attacked by a star squid. And that is in Beyond the Barriers, the the Book of Worlds. And that is the other notable squid-like entity, I think, that we encounter that are kind of aliens. And these are also presented as things that are more alien than spirit in that we don't get anything like a gnosis rating we get regular stats so that's another one of those things that could be out there and the idea that they built the cop the copernicus research station just this dyson sphere surrounding a star which i guess all dyson spheres would be suggests the scale at which they can operate did they ever get mentioned again other than like in relation to the cop yeah just beyond the barriers i don't think they come up again yeah this one of the things I both love and hate about Mage is how many things are mentioned once and then never again. The Ramas Ka also go into that. Uh, just about any any spirit entity, except for like the four that keep getting mentioned over and over again in the core rulebook, seem to succumb to that fate. They give you an opportunity to encounter something in the deep ocean. They could theoretically be fighting against the Chulavoria or just about whatever. They could serve as an antagonist to the Nefandi. They could serve as an ally to the Nefandi in deep space. Here's a t- terrifying thought. What happens if the Chulorvia infect one of the Watchers in the Deep? 
that's kind of like the question of what happens if a Borg assimilates a Jedi. Do they gain access to the Force or do all the Borg? I'm not quite sure. I don't know if I'm at the level of nerd to handle that question. Just a, just a suggestion of a plot hook. <laughs> yeah, if you're like, this hasn't been weird enough. How do we make it weirder? We, we well, have- especially if if you want if you run a few sessions where your mixed group runs into the Tulorvia and then they just meet the giantest squid ever. Like, we hate you, humanity. But so do the Tulorvia, and they're a problem for us too, so... We've walked through now uh, five groups. Are there any other things that seem alien-like that come to mind when you think aliens and mage? When I think aliens, not as much. There's a few other things that I could make an argument for, but they more fall under categories of things like demons or other monsters. They're not... Yeah, there are weird things out there, and eventually we will talk about things like Hive Dwellers, the Emanation of the Shenti, the Lords of the Outer Darkness, the Dero, and so on. Mage has got weird stuff for days. So let's pivot the question to, uh, so where could we reasonably encounter these aliens? The easiest place to run into basically all of them is the Deep Umbra. Even if you don't have the Avatar Storm or any of that stuff, the Deep Umbra is not a very accessible place. If you want to go to the Deep Umbra, you either need a Master of Spirit or Dimensional Science, of course, or you need to have had one build you a Void Ship or an Ether Ship. Are there portals that go straight into the Deep Umbra? If memory serves, the answer is kind of, sort of. There's not very many of them, certainly not compared to weird places in the Near Umbra. We mentioned, say, the Watchers in the Deep come from both the deep ocean and deep and they show up in deep space and part of why that makes sense in mage is that the two are not as different as they appear at first glance if you get far enough away from humanity's eyes it all kind of runs together 10 miles down and 10 miles up can get you kind of the same place it also seems like water absorbs consensus at a higher rate than air because going down two miles into the ocean seems to to do better than going 100 miles past the carmen line or what have you so we have one way of encountering them out there. What do you think is the best way to encounter them maybe closer to home? I think I mentioned this with the Zig. The hardest thing about bringing them home is that most of them are kept out by the horizon. And that's really important because otherwise things would get really weird on Earth and there'd be no rule of shade. There'd be no masquerade. It wouldn't make any sense if there's just aliens running around. Uh, First edition mage very much presents the idea that everything is interested in Earth because that's where all the humans that generate all the quintessence are, or alternatively, that's where all the quintessence is. And then later on, we find out that maybe there are quintessence in other stars, and the Void Engineers have figured out ways of extracting quintessence from just either the interstellar media or from space rocks or what have you. But early on, it's very much presented as Earth is the party because of all the quintessence that's going on there. It's also presented that there just isn't that much of it on Earth either. Yeah, first edition is very much quintessence is the rarest thing in the universe. It only exists on Earth and only in super special rare places on Earth, which is why mages and werewolves hate each other because they're fighting over the nodes and so and so on. Since then, they've explicitly said things like that there are nodes on Mars. So we have unbelief keeping them out. So if I wanted to have a character encounter aliens, one of the easy ways is the greys seem to have an ability to exist in the near Umbra. I think it is a great way to weird up a umbral court to be like, ah, look, we are dealing with the Decathion. Also, there's a gray there. Or, ah, we are talking with the Yazata, and there's a gray there. For people who are fans of Threat Null, you could sprinkle a resident in. What are the residents? So the residents are the aspect of Threat Null, which is 
derived from the syndicate. They are wheelers and dealers in the spirit world, and they tend to insinuate themselves into umbral courts for their own purposes and profit. Just like you could just drop one of those into any umbral court you like, throwing in a Kaluan is just really easy. There happens to be a gray there. As for the others, we have the option of one of my recurring favorites. You break into a technocratic construct and you find something that you don't want to have to meddle with there. Of the groups that are going to deal with aliens, I think the Void Engineers hands down win for the group that is most likely to encounter and have ways of dealing with them, maybe with the exception of some of the deep umbral nephondic groups. The only other group I'd put in the same category as the Void Engineers, really, especially among player character types, are the Progenitors. Who wants to play Alien Autopsy? We also have that deep ocean route if you want to try and uh, introduce the Watchers in the Deep or the Chulorvia. Sorry, another technocratic tie. The revised convention books, all of them pretty much, except for Iteration X, which is kind of a separate thing, mention a collection of underwater constructs that have kind of taken over the role of the deep space constructs since the Avatar Storm. The Chulorvia, the Watchers of the Deep, those are just things that you could encounter if you have a character who is at one of them. Yeah, you have the Earth Frontier Division. You have Station Yamaja that has been dealing with the Earth Frontier Division since the the 80s. It became a a site of rescue when the Dimensional Anomaly came because the gauntlet was still thin enough to, to cross there. Nodes generally are signs of weaker gauntlets. They can certainly give issues around those, especially if they're going to be in remote areas. I always like the idea of somebody dealing with abductions and it being traditional cattle mutilation or something like that, possibly initially looking like the Infernal, or alternatively, the other way, people think it's aliens, but it proves to just be some lesser demon or lesser devil that's suddenly on the loose. Given that we've discussed how the space aliens all seem fascinated by the idea of taking all the avatars, if your group does play with wonders and has an actual talisman, it stopped working. They have to go find what happened, who broke it, and make them give back the thing that makes it work. Or the opposite direction, the group gets a hold of something that they think is technocratic hypertech, and whatever created it in the first place wants it back. Mm -hmm. These are all great first contact types of stories, like characters who were not aware that aliens existed suddenly running into them. In a game, Charles, if I wanted to maintain the ambivalence of are these aliens or are these just spirits, do you do you have any thoughts on how you would do that? I would primarily encounter them in the Umbra. It's always ambivalent if something is physical or just spirit if you're in the Umbra. And other than that, I would describe the weirdness, but you don't actually have to do very much because players are going to assume that it's just a spirit because everything is just a spirit. The main thing you have to do is convince them maybe it's not. And all of them have weird things about them that will let you do that. With the Zig, you have the way that they deal with time and space that's completely different from any spirit. The Kaluan are always materialized. That's just strange. They never seem to be using essence either. So Spirit mages and prime mages who can keep track of that should notice. And the only place you're likely to actually meet Kuvan is in that Ascension scenario, and you can stop worrying about it at that point because that's the end. Yeah. <laughs> and if you do want your characters to encounter more of the Huija, 
It could be quite simply the fact that they are able to teach mortals. We don't get a lot of information that spirits are able to communicate directly with mortals in a way that changes reality. I also like the idea that maybe the entities themselves find unbelief to be toxic, as if it were a form of radiation, but their stuff doesn't seem to go away. So now we have a bygone or something like that that uh, seems to be generating artifacts, even if the entity itself is kind of rebuffed across reality. It, it might leave some stuff behind. Maybe you get Zigrogler toenails or you get little Kalawan artifacts or Huija singing crystals or something like that. It's also implied in maybe Infinite Tapestry that there are plenty of other alien things out there and that not all of them look like sci-fi aliens. Some of them are beings from other worlds, like very much aliens, but that they run on mystical principles. So you could easily have some have alien species that drop wonders, like you were just suggesting, as breadcrumbs to try to get you to find them because they want to help, because they want unbelief gone. And maybe they want to help you, you know, free the world from the straitjacket of science and allow all things to exist. And then they'll show up and take over. I think one of my favorite examples of that is the Sacrana, the praying mantis of human size that tend to dress in miters like cardinals from Axis Mundi. They are listed as enigmatic spirits. And if I were to create a mystical alien, that is probably where I would start. They seem to exist in a small domain off of the flux realm, which maybe I would tie to a satellite of the moon or something like that. Yeah, and, and of course... This is just what has been explicitly put into books. The technocracy void engineers suggest that the void engineers have explored a substantial fraction of the galaxy, which I have issues when mage writers try to talk about large-scale things. But if we assume that they have explored, let's say, a significant fraction of our neighborhood in the galaxy, then depending on what people as a whole believe about Drake's equation, which is an estimate for how many intelligent species there should be, Maybe they've run into 12 or 13 different alien civilizations out there. Who knows what's out there? It's entirely up to you in your game. So I have a friend, and in their game, they basically were running Mage, and then one day they showed up with their Star Wars books. People were like, what's going on? We're playing Mage tonight. Why do you have all the Star Wars books? You left Earth. What do you expect me to use? They're running around the galaxy doing quasi-mystic nonsense with some technomancy thrown in. They're, yeah, they're not running into Star Wars aliens specifically, but Star Wars has much more in the way of mechanics for interstellar uh, action sequences than Mage does. We've gone over a lot. We've, do you have any closing thoughts on aliens in Mage? They're weird and I love them. I think the big thing to me is the fact that either option is mind-blowing. Like, it feels to a certain extent like the cosmology of the world of darkness breaks a little if there are true aliens. Then suddenly whatever happened between Cain and God or the Fallen is maybe one among many, which kind of shifts the personal horror to a kind of cosmic horror of, yeah, things are terrible here, but we are insignificant in the grand scheme of things in ways we didn't fully understand before. Or alternatively, there is nothing else out there. Oh shit, there's nothing else out there. And I really feel like it's one of those ones where either option is completely mind-blowing to me as a storyteller. They both have their pros and cons, and they're both very different styles of horror. And aliens are, all, are just a great way to add horror into a mage game. And mage does, in many cases, have a tendency to run a bit more urban fantasy than, say, vampire. But throwing in something that the mages don't understand just 
can really let you hit themes like hubris and the unknown in a way that is usually that is sometimes difficult in many mage games. Charles, we, we know you as a prodigious producer of mage supplements. What should we look for next from the pen of Charles Siegel? So next, I am finishing up my first draft of a 20th anniversary update for Sorcerer. I don't give nearly as much space as I would like to to the Star Council or the Thalhun because there's so many different fellowships that all need their space. But that is almost done. I'm hoping to get it edited and laid out over the next month or so. So ideally, it'll come out first week of August, if everything goes according to plan, which it never does. And more on theme for this show, one of the projects that may be my next project is titled Celestial Spheres, and it is about going away from Earth as part of Mage, running around the solar system and beyond. If you like what I have to say about aliens, you can hope for more of it when I get around to writing that. Nice. I look forward to seeing it. And with that, Charles, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your participation here. And for everyone out there in the audience listening to the stars or something like that, I'll come up with a better outro. You've been listening to Mates the Podcast. You can subscribe to our show on Spotify, Anchor, TuneIn, iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, or the podcatcher of your choice. If you like us, please rate and review us on the platform of your choosing. We have a hop in Discord community at discord.me slash matesthepodcast, and you can also give us your thoughts and feedback over email at matesthepodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at matesthepodcast. If you'd like to support us and get a cool chat color in Discord, go to matesthepodcast.com and click on Become a Supporter of Mates the Podcast. Executive producers get a preview of the episode plan for the next two months or so, or at least that's what I've been showing them recently, and our own Discord channel. This episode has been made possible by the following executive producers. Anders. Andrew. Brendan, Bryce Perry, Christopher P., Ira Grace, John Magnuson, Justin, Michael Parker, Richard Bat Brewster, and William. And as a new bonus, I've created a limerick for one of you at random. This one goes out to Anders. There once was a donor named Anders, whose game advice was as sage as Ann Landers. Proles asked what game should I play, and when D&D he didn't say, he would defend mage against their lies and their slanders. Anders, thank you for your support. Also, go to magethepodcast.com for show notes and all our previous shows. And with that, go change the world.